0: So let's go ahead and open up to Ezra chapter 2 where we know now that the nation of Israel has been uh, deported now for 70 years. That was the background of it and is now held captive by not only Babylon but now into the hands of the king of Persia, right? And it was their sin that led to their deportation into the hands of captivity. It was their sin that led to that deportation. And now in chapters one, two, three, and four, they are moving back in. Isn't that awesome when God does a revival in your life? When you are able to reclaim that space and everything that God has given you and you're able to say, this is what the Lord has blessed me with. I'm not gonna allow the enemy to take it away any longer because of sin. I'm not gonna let the enemy rip me off any longer. We're gonna move back in. That's amazing. (laughs) I've titled this message today, Moving Back In. Actually, I really didn't even have a title until right now during the announcements. God said title it, Moving Back In. (laughs) But we're moving back in. Not only are we moving back in, but we want to do it the right way. You don't just simply want to move back in to what God has given you originally. From what the enemy took away, you don't want to just move back in. You want to move back in the right way. You see, it's about the foundation that you set when you move back in to where God has given you that will make now that space and that time and that promised land lasting, right? We know everything that starts now, we've talked about it before, everything that starts usually fast will end quick. Everything that starts small will end will will get will the Lord will bless it. Everything that, 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 that takes a while because of the foundation, God will be in the midst of it as well. But here they're rebuilding. And from chapter 2, it says here, we're going to go in and read just the first two verses to get the idea of what's taking place. Because it gives us a list of those that decided to go back into Jerusalem. And I'll tell you those that decided because some decided to stay. You see, when God opens up the door to say, move back into the place that I've given you. He's given you grace. He's given you opportunity. He's given you now a, a, a time to reclaim, as we've named this. Some of them decided, we're going to be comfortable in captivity. Some of them decided, we're going to be uh, now comfortable in compromise. We're going to be comfortable in complacency. And you guys go ahead and go on and rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple. We will stay back. Don't be those that stay back, please. Be those that say, we want to go forward. We don't want to go backward. We want to go onward. We don't want to stay stuck in the past. And it says here, Ezra chapter 2, Now these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, carried away to Babylon and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. They're moving back in. This is a list. And from verse now 2 to verse here 70, it gives you a list of those that decided to now go back. I'm going to allow you to read that on your own because it's a list of the fathers, and of the houses, and of people, and family by name, giving us a a complete narrative of those that said, yes, let's go forward. Let's go claim back to what God has given us. We're not going to stay comfortable in captivity. The Lord has given us freedom. Let's move back in, and let's do it the right way. And from verse 1 now to, from verse 3 on to verse 20, it gives you the names and the numbers of people that return. And, and in verse 21 to 35, it gives you the, them by city. From verse 36 to 39, it gives you them by the priests that were going to go back. From verse 40 now, it gives you the name of the Levites. From verse 41 to 42, it gives you the singers and the gatekeepers and the ushers of the temple. From verse 43 to 50, it gives you now those that were assistants to the Levites. From 51 to 67, it gives you now the singers, the horses, the possessions that they were taking back. And from verse 68, now it gives you some of the family members that made voluntary offerings now to the Lord. Let's go to verse 68 now. And it says, So some of the heads of the fathers, Ezra 2.68, of the fathers here houses, when they came to the house of the Lord, which was in Jerusalem now, and understand this, the house of the Lord is in ruins. It's burnt. It's broken down. It's, it's now in a, held hostage now by a different empire. Offered freely, it says here, offered freely for the house of God to erect it in its place. You know what they said, that they came now to the fathers of the houses. And I love that it said here that the heads are the fathers of the houses. Why does it say that? Because heads is a, and fathers is a symbol of leaders and those that are responsible. So the, le- the heads and the leaders and those that are responsible of families came and said there is no way that we're going to let the house of God be this way. And they now gave and offered freely. They didn't hold back when they gave, they offered freely. And I love that, because when we come to the house of God, we should never hold back. We should offer freely, so that we can get the house of God in its rightful place. So that we can take care of the house of God. And Haggai, later on during this time, we see that Haggai prophesied against the people and said, You guys have your houses all built all nice, and all pretty, and your house looks all decorated, and it all looks all nice, but we go to the house of God, and how come it doesn't look that nice? How come your house gets to look nice but the house of God doesn't look nice? How come you, when you, when you think about your living room and, your, and all your house, you think about something that's so designed, so, so beautiful, but what about the house of God? So here we see that they offered freely now to erect it in its place. And verse 69 was very challenging to me, I'll tell you, because it says here in 69, according to their ability, according to their ability they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold here, drachmas, 5,000 minus of silver, and 100 priestly garments. You know what the word right there in verse 69, according to their ability? If you read in a different translation, it says, "As they gave as much as they could. Man, that's amazing. Because sometimes we don't give as much as we can. And this is teaching us, this is setting a precedence. It said they gave as much as they could. They offered freely here, it said in verse 69 here, in verse 68, and according to their ability. As much as they could freely. They didn't hesitate, they didn't hold back, but they gave for the needs of the house of God. Verse 70, So the priests and the Levites and some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers and the Net, uh, Nethanim dwelt in the cities in all Israel in their cities. They, they finally moved back in. But as they move back in, you're going to wonder what are they going to do now? What's the first thing you do when you finally move back in to that place of promise? Because you have to do something. You don't just move in and start decorating you. You move in and you're going to do the right thing in the right place. If you want God to bless you right where you are, that place that you are in life, then do the right thing. And they're going to do the right thing now in chapter 3. As they offered as much as they could. As they gave freely. As they did not hold back. Now their priorities are in order. Their priorities are in order. And now chapter 3 verse 1 says this. And when the seventh month had come. And the children of Israel were in the cities. The people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Everyone gathered together to get now as one man. Then Jeshua the son of Josedach, and his brethren the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brothers arose and built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us tonight, that you would demonstrate, that you would show us, God, that you would lead us and guide us. We, we ask, Lord, that you would be a people, Lord, that, that would open our hearts to give freely as much as we possibly can to your work, God. But then, Lord, that when we show up, Lord, when we move into that place, that we would do the right thing. That we would not move in the way, Lord, we had moved out. That we would move in, Lord, as these people moved back in, God. And I ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You see what they do when they come back in chapter 3? True worship is restored. They weren't worshipping themselves any longer. They weren't worshipping idolatry. They weren't worshipping each other or or, or these other foreign gods. They true worship was reinstated. You want to see God do something when you move back into that place and you reclaim what the enemy had taken because of disobedience, Right? You see, what you do here in verse 1, it says that they gathered together, they came together. And in verse 2, it said that the priest and Zerubbabel, which was the governor at the time, they all came together with one purpose. And this is the purpose, to build an altar for God. You want to make sure that God blesses? Go to the foundation and build the altar for God and say, we're going to reset. We're going to reset right here. And this is a bold offering that they're going to give because it tells us here in verse 2 that they gathered they arose and built an altar of god of israel to offer burnt offerings on it you see what do they do they didn't go build themselves something again they didn't go build foreign altars they arose and they started to build from scratch they started to build from nothing They started to build from zero again, but they started to build an altar of God. To do what? To offer to God. Offerings on it. How and why? As it was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. You see, you have to stay close to the word of God. Oh Lord, we want to bless you you to bless this. Oh God, we want you to bless this season. Oh Lord, we want to build an altar. How? Where's the manuscript? Where are the blueprints at? It says here, just as it was written in the word. Just the way Moses, the man of God, had said, this is the way you're going to do it. They're going to build an altar now so that they can offer these burnt offerings to God and they're coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you. Isn't this amazing? That they're coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about the Lord. Let's come back to the heart of worship so it can be all about Jesus. In verse 3 it says, Though fear had come upon them, They did it even through fear. Well, you would say, why would they be scared? Because there were still people living there that did not want them to offer offerings to their their God, the God Yahweh of Israel. But they still brought an offering even though they were scared. They brought an offering even though other people didn't approve of it. They brought an offering even though they might have felt intimidated. It says, through though fear had come upon them. You see, that word fear is powerful. Because fear, we can sometimes live in a bondage of fear and never get to do what God called us to do, right? Because we're scared of what our neighbors would say. See, their neighbors, their neighboring people now, were criticizing or they're oppressing them. They were coming back to their house, but they weren't in charge now. So they had to offer an offering that was bold in spite of fear. And it said here, though they were fearful or though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries. There was people around them that did not like what they were about to do. There was people around them that would have criticized them, yet they still set the altar on its bases. That's awesome. What does a base remind you? It reminds you of a foundation. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening burnt offerings. I love that. Because it's telling us here, let's reset, let's build it the right way. Let's come in the morning and give an offering to the Lord. Let's go in the evening now and worship the Lord. See, worship, you know what they were doing? They were beginning and starting their day off at the altar. They were starting the day at the altar and they were finishing the day at the altar. And sometimes we say, Lord, why don't you do anything? Did you start your day at the altar? And did you finish your day at the altar? Was it morning and evening? Oh, you know, I had to spend my devotional time later at night with the Lord. No, though fear, even through now the opposition, even through all of it, they started and ended the day giving an offering of worship to the Lord. And it says here now, verse 4, they kept the Feast of Tabernacles as it is written. What were they doing? They were obeying the Word of God. And offered daily burnt offerings and the number required by ordinance for each day. Verse 5, afterward they offered here the regular burnt offerings and those for new moons and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord, every appointed feast that God had given them, all the seven feasts that, they had, that the Lord had given them, um, here through Moses and through the word and through the law, all of them they followed that were consecrated in those of everyone who willingly offered a free will offering to the Lord. What were they doing? What kind of offerings were they, they were doing? This tabernacle one and these feasts and, the, and these uh, offerings that they were offering to the Lord. You know what they were doing in the wilderness? Back in Numbers and Leviticus, when you read that, what was, what was the Lord telling Moses for them to do? To do these certain feasts to celebrate the faithfulness of God while they were in the wilderness. Isn't that amazing when you pause and you start to celebrate the faithfulness of God even when you were going through the wilderness that God never left you? Even though when you were being rebellious that He didn't leave you? They celebrated these feasts of tabernacles they came and gave a free will offering in obedience now so it was worship it was obedience it was the faithfulness of God but how did he begin what was the priority the priority was this let us begin with worship let's begin with obedience to the Word of God that was before even they laid out the foundation of the temple because what, what were they allowed to do they went back to, to start the temple but before the temple you know what they did they didn't say let's get blueprints Let's start building, let's start decorating, let's start doing this. No, they said, you know what, first things first, let's offer to the Lord an offering now. Even before they build a foundation and even while they were fearful. What does this tell us today? What does this teach us today? Let's read verse 6. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. That's amazing. How many times have we rushed to try to build? Oh, let's get everything, let's hurry up, let's get the foundation built, let's get the materials in, let's get people working, let's go, we want to see it happen now. We want the Lord to do the work now, let's do it now. Now they said, no, we're not going to do it that way. First things first, let's go and offer an offering to the Lord morning and evening, before we even lay the foundation, let's get things right with God. Let's get things right with God first. Let's offer these offerings, let's come in the morning and in the evening, obeying His word, worshiping. Let's go back to the heart of worship, even before we lay out the foundation of the temple. This is awesome, because we must be those who respond to danger, intimidation, temptation, by worshiping God. And when you respond, even while you're intimidated by those people, even though while you are maybe tempted, Even though why? Well, maybe you're in danger. When you respond to all of that in worship, you know what you're doing now? You're not only declaring now that that you're worshiping God, but you're also celebrating God's power to protect you. Think about that. I'm celebrating God's power to protect me, so I'm going to worship even while I'm intimidated, even while I'm in danger, even while I'm being tempted, I am going to worship God, and I'm going to declare and celebrate that He can protect me. Because He can. You see, safety, their safety that day, their safety was not found in how strong they were. Their safety was not found in numbers. Their safety was not found in idols. But their safety was found in obeying God's word. And they said, first thing is first, let's go to the altar. How many times do we think, you know what, we're going to be safe. We're going to be protected if we have the numbers. We're going to be safe. We're going to be protected if we have the might. We're going to be safe and protected if we have maybe the things that we want in life, right? But their safety was not in that. Their safety was in obeying God's word. And it says here in verse 7, And they also gave money. These guys are givers. This is what an example in just this chapter. They also gave, it says here now, money to the masons and the carpenters and the food to, and, and food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs. These were the same logs that were used to build the temple the first time. These were expensive logs. They gave money to buy the best. They were counting the cost. Let's build the altar. let's build the altar, let's build the temple but we're going to do it the right way and we're going to do it the, with the best materials now. it says, from Lebanon to the Sea of Joppa according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, the king of Persia. They started to build everything now here as we can see it. Now in the second month of the second year of the coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, the son of Josadak." And the rest of the brethren the priests and the levites and all those who had come out of captivity they came straight out of captivity they came straight out of that bondage to jerusalem began work and appointed levites they started to work these men zerubbabel which was the governor started to work and you know what he does here now he appoints levites or leaders From 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of God. What's the number one thing that he starts to do? He starts to appoint leaders so they can oversee the work of God. Do you remember Zerubbabel, if you read through Zechariah, Zechariah prophesies now through the Lord to Zerubbabel because Zerubbabel was doubtful that he can complete such assignment. Zerubbabel the governor said, No, I can't do the temple of God. No way, I can't build this huge thing. Me, us small, we're weak people. We just came out of captivity. You want us to build a temple? No. And you know what the Lord answers in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 to Zerubbabel through the prophet Zechariah? He tells him this. This is the word of the Lord of Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You know that sometimes we burn out. Sometimes we get so tired. Sometimes we we don't understand why we can't finish what God called us to do and we're intimidated and God reminds us, it's not by your might, it's not by your power corporately, it's by my spirit because we want to start in the spirit and we want to finish in the spirit. We're not going to do this work by our might. We're not going to do this work by our numbers. We're not going to do this work by our, our strength or our experience. We're going to do this work by the Spirit of God. And they come and they gather all the materials. They appoint overseers and they start the work of the Lord. Verse 10 says here, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in the here, in their apparel with the trumpets after the foundation was laid. And the Levites, the sons of uh, Asaph, With symbols to to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, the king of Israel. And they sang responsively. This is amazing. I want you to underline this in your Bible. And they sang responsively. God is doing a work. Let's sing responsively. You know what that means? That they were responding in their singing to God. When we come to church and we think, oh God, we want to, we're going to go ahead and sing right now during worship. Just cross your arms and looking at the screen, looking down, you know, wanting to think about what you're going to do after church. No, sing responsibly for what God has done in your life. If you think about the things that God has done in your life, does He not deserve for you to respond to those things with you singing out and raising your hand? Oh, God, thank you so much because you've allowed me to move back into the place of promise. I, I What else can I do? I, I cannot but sing to you, God, of what you've done. They laid in the foundation. They started to sing to God, giving Him glory. Verse 10, it says here now, they stood and they sing responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. Two things praise and thanks praise and thanks you know how we praise because we have a heart of gratitude of thanks of thanksgiving you see when you have a heart that is just so thankful you want to praise when you have a heart that understands god thank you for bringing us back thank you because i got to stand on the foundation again thank you because we get to worship you we're giving you thanks we are giving you thanks god and because of that we're praising you lord and look, look at the, the lyrics of their song because they're thanking God, praise and thanks. This is a, a song of gratitude, a song of gratitude. And you know what they're saying? For he is good, his mercy endures forever toward Israel. What does good mean? Good means goodness, gracefulness. When you have a reencounter with the grace of God, when you have a re-encounter, when you understand what the grace of God did for you, when you understand that you didn't deserve it, but God still gave it to you, that's the grace of God. When you understand that, that we are wretched sinners and we don't deserve that second, third, fourth, fifth chance, that's the grace of God. And when you meet his goodness face to face, again, and you have a reencounter, You said, this is how good God is. He is so good, how could I not worship him? You say, he is so good. His mercy, his forgiveness, his patience lasted forever. Man, isn't that amazing? God, you brought me back here. Lord, you brought me back, Lord. And your mercy, your patience, your endurance, your long suffering toward me lasted forever, God. You're so good. Because we wouldn't have been that merciful. We would have not have been that forgiving. We would have given up on people. But the Lord didn't do that for us. His mercy lasted forever. Forever. And because of that, He is so good toward israel to those that are governed by god then all the people look what look what they do here they shout with a great shout when they praise the lord because of the foundation of the house of the lord was laid they start to shout man they were so joyful they couldn't keep it in they could not keep it in they said lord his mercy endures forever they could not keep in what god had done in Psalms 136, 11 and 12, David sings the same song. And, and, and you brought out Israel from among them, or you, you, Lord, you took Israel out. Your mercy endures forever with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. You pulled us out of the world. You pulled us out of Egypt. You pulled us out of Babylon. This is a new exodus. You pulled me out of the world one time, and Lord, you did it again, and your mercy endures forever. I think that we have to pause. And we have to think about the grace of God, the goodness of God. Think about the goodness of God right now. Think about how good He's been to you. And think about how merciful He's been to you. And how it has endured forever. I think about the Lord sometimes and it's overwhelming. It's like the song we sang right now, it's overwhelming. To think that God had never has not given up on us. To think that God is so good to us that He loves us enough to be so patient with us. And they start to celebrate, but many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers, houses, old men. So these old guys that are there, it says here, who had seen the first temple, those that saw the first temple and are there again for the rebuilding of the second one, they start to cry with a loud voice. When the foundation of the temple was laid before their eyes, yet many shouted aloud for joy. So there was a group crying and there was a group shouting for joy. And some of those that that were crying were crying because they could not believe at the temple that once they once saw was being rebuilt. Have you ever had tears of joy because of what you once saw the Lord is building again? Have you ever had tears of joy because of what you saw God do one time and it was all broken down that God is building it again and tears, tears start to come down? Some of them are weeping and, and crying out loud. Those that knew, that saw it the first time. And the second one are shouting for joy. You know what this is? This is the sound of brokenness accompanied with the sound of victory." This is amazing, because it's the sound of brokenness accompanied by the sound of weeping that leads us to victory. This is victory. This is sweet victory now for the nation of Israel. In fact, it would say here now, Verse 13, so the people could not discern, they couldn't tell the noise of the shout of joy and the noise of the weeping of the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the shout was heard afar off. A heart, a, fur, heart, uh, uh, a far off, you can hear crying and weeping, and you can also hear shouting for joy. You know what's amazing about how this chapter ends right here? Is that they, it ends at the altar where you crying and weeping. And it ends at the altar where you shouting and giving God a thanks of victory. That's what victory means. It means being now at the altar of the Lord, weeping and crying and asking the Lord, Lord, do something and thank you for what you're doing still, God. And we ask that and we know that the victory that means brokenness and the sound of the tears and the sound of the the shouting for joy at the foundation is because you are working. Now chapter 4, let's read it quickly as it goes fast. But we see here in chapter 4 that they're going to start to build, and they're going to face opposition. I want you to know this today, maybe you're discouraged, or maybe you're now facing some type of opposition in life, that anytime you try to do something for the Lord, a great work for the Lord, expect. I don't want you to say, think, but I want you to expect opposition. Because any great work of God is followed by opposition. Opposition. Any great work from God is followed by opposition, and it's gonna start in your mind. You know one of the two greatest things that the enemy will use when you're trying to serve God, when you're trying to do a great work for the Lord, maybe God is raising you up in a ministry, maybe you're being stretched in the area of leadership in your own life, the enemy will use two things to stop you. He will use number one, discouragement, and he will use number two, deceit. And he'll wanna make you believe the lies of, that he's putting in your mind to stop you from serving God. And it's sad that you see a lot of people being stopped because they're believing the lies of the enemy and and we become discouraged in that deception. Every moment of adversity is an opportunity for resilience for the family of God. Every moment of adversity is an opportunity for endurance. Expect spiritual warfare anytime you want to do something great for God. Expect spiritual warfare, please. Know that spiritual warfare is here to change you and make you strong for whatever capacity God is going to use you in. In James chapter 1 verse 2 and 4 it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Don't be moping around. It. Count it a joy that you fall into various trials, knowing that your testing of your faith produces endurance, produces patience, produces patience. But let patience have its perfect worth, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing." Here we learn that that endurance comes through trials. Endurance comes through... How are you ever going to get endurance if you don't go through trials? It's like saying, I am going to get strong, but I'm never going to work out, and I never want to feel the pain of being sore. You're crazy. (laughs) You need to work out, and you need to feel the pain of being sore. Your muscles need to rip. You need to break from the routine of what you're going through, right? So that your muscles can grow, and you can exercise, and you feel, well, I might be in pain today, but tomorrow I'm going to be stronger. <laughs> I want you to remember that. I might be in pain today, but tomorrow I'm going to be stronger. You see, when you're going through pain, and you're, you, you know, you're working out, you're going through the gym and whatnot, one of the most beautiful things is when you feel sore, because you know when you feel, man, you start to, you feel sore, you start to, man, you you start to go to the gym. You are looking at yourself like one or two times, flexing the mirror, because you're like, man, I, I do, do I look good as, as good as I feel? <laughs> because you went through being sore, you went through the pain, so you are expecting now the gain. You see, don't let the enemy stop you from doing what God called you to do because of discouragement and because of deception. He will try to lie to you and he will try to discourage you so you won't do what God called you to do. I remember my pastor one day came up to me and he said, if God, I'm sorry, and he told me, God has called you to do something, right? And I said, yeah, he has. Well, if the enemy can stop you from doing what God called you to do, and if I can stop you from doing what God called you to do, then maybe you were not called in the first place. Man, I let that sink in deep in my heart that day. Because if man can stop me, and the enemy can stop me from doing what God had called me to do, did He call me to do it in the first place? I love what it said before, because when we point onward, and from here onward now, from now until now, Nehemiah, we see that there is conflict. And conflict is sometimes good. There is something such as healthy conflict. I want you to know there is something such as healthy conflict. Sometimes you're going to have a conflict within yourself. Because you feel uncomfortable. But get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. There is something such as a healthy conflict. And there is conflict here because God is growing them. God is bringing them back. And nothing that is attempted for God will never go unchallenged. If you want to do something for God, you're going to be challenged by the enemy. You're going to be challenged by the world. Scarcely will a tactic from God, a tactic from the enemy not follow God's work. Will not be explored now because of opposition. We're going to know that there's opposition every time you try to do something for God. Every time you want to do something for God. And we see here now in verse, chapter 4, verse 1. We're not going to go through the entire chapter. But let's go here now and see what's taking place in the very first few verses. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel. Number one, the what? The adversaries. You have an adversary. You have an adversary. A lot of times we get defeated before the fight even begins because we forgot that we had an adversary. We try to serve God like we don't have an adversary. When you stand up to serve God every single week, every single day, when you go to work, remind yourself, I have an adversary, I have an enemy. The enemy is real. And you can't undermine the enemy. The enemy is real, the enemy wants to stop you. And when the enemy, the adversaries heard that those that were captive wanted to come and rebuild something that God had told them to do, to rebuild, they, they started to move into action. You want to do ministry? You want to do work? you want to lead your family, you want to rebuild something, you have an adversary. Your adversary is going around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. But guess what, not only do you have an adversary, you also have an advocate, a defender. Sometimes we think that the enemy is strong, but you know this, you have a defender that's much stronger. You have a defender that much that is much stronger it says here now they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers the enemies came to the father and they tried to disguise themselves and look what the enemies here did let us build with you for we seek your God as you do and we have sacrificed to him since the days here of Asterhaddon king of Assyria who brought us here you're gonna get people sometimes you want to do something for God maybe an enterprise maybe a ministry, maybe your family, maybe a venture now, and you want to do something now for God. And now you have people that don't have the same vision or the same heart for the same God that you worship, and now they're going to come in and want to blend in with you to help you, help you, but they have a hidden agenda. I want you to be careful on who you allow to come in to what God called you to do, no matter what it is, whether it's in church or outside of church. You be careful of who you allow to come in and partner with you and anything in life because these men said oh we worship God too oh we fear God too let us worship let us help you build it you know what they were trying to do they weren't trying to help they're trying to gain up control and influence and sometimes people are going to say you know what we want to help but you know what they really want they want influence they want control this is a mixed multitude you know the temple here was was to be built the right way in holiness it was for the God of Yahweh. It was to give God the glory. And these people wanted to use the building so they can say, Oh man, that, man we're, they're building something good here. Let me just kind of go in there and try to help. And, and guess what? Ministry can be now something that is about me. You know what? This, this thing that's happening can be about me. And, and you know what? God doesn't want it to be about you. He wants it to be about Himself. Ministry is not a way for you to become famous. And ministry is not a way for you to become influential. And if you think it's for you to become famous or influential, it's an opportunity for you to serve God's people. Everything that God put in your hand, it's an opportunity for you to serve God's people. Everything that He put in your hand is an opportunity for you to serve God's people because you were created for one reason and you were created to worship Him. And if you were created to create, it was only for the glory of God. It's only for the glory of God. You see, these neighbors, were telling them, you know what, please, let us help you. We look good helping you. You know, sometimes what we want to do, when, when, when it, maybe it's a new circumstance, or it's a new work, or you need help, you run with the temptation of saying, hey, we can benefit from them. So let's let them help. Let's just let whoever come in and help. But no, these, the people have started to know and catch on to something. We're not just going to let anyone come in. We're going to let the right people come in and help. Why? Because whose help is more valuable? That person that you think can help you but doesn't fear God? Or the God that raised you up in the first place? Why not depend on His help? Why do you look for someone else's help when God can help you? You know what they were going to do right here? And we see through verses 3 and on. They were going to work on the quality control. Keep the quality. Don't worry about the, the quantity. Let's work on quality control. And let's check our heart. Let's check our heart. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for today. We thank you, Lord, because you are so good. We pray, Lord, that we would not allow people into our lives or into what you've placed before us as stewards who don't fear you, who maybe come with a hidden agenda, a hidden motive, that we would not give them the rights to what belongs to you. It belongs to you. And I pray, Lord, that we would be concerned about the quality control. That we wouldn't be in a rush to build in a rush to expand. To say, because we need it, let's just allow it. God, I pray, Lord, that we would find more value in your help than anybody else's help. Because if you're not a part of it, then we don't want to be a part of it either. Lord, I pray that what's important to you would be important to us. In Jesus' name, amen.